today we, uh, we look at the topic, how to have a good fight. And they say that a good marriage is made in heaven, and it may start out there, but a good marriage requires a lot of effort and give and take here on earth. In the book, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, doctors Les and Leslie Parrott report that fewer than 20% of all marriages in America receive any kind of formal training or counseling preceding that marriage in, in the way of preparation. And one of the most basic practical helps for us to consider is conflict resolution, because in marriage, conflict is inevitable. So this teaching today will help you not only if you're married, but will help you with any relationship in, in your life. And so I want us to see that conflict handled with loving honesty can often produce reconciliation. Let's look first at preventing conflict. How do conflicts occur? They're sometimes caused by a misunderstanding when one or more parties misinterpret or, or misconstrue, and, and that can happen easily over a phone call, and that's why it's dangerous to communicate heavily with uh, email or, or text, because when we're not face-to-face, -face, we lose 80% of the communication, which is supplied by facial expressions, gestures, uh, tone of voice. Depending on the accent of our words or our inflection, we can leave others with a variety of possible interpretations. For example, consider these different inflections and how it changes the the outcome of the message conveyed by these five words. I'm going to put the, uh, the emphasis on a different word each, each time. I'd rather not go there. 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 Or I'd rather not go there. Even the simple, subtle inflection of one's voice can send a message to someone which can be misunderstood. I like the, the joke about the couple who are celebrating their, their 50th wedding anniversary and all their family and friends were together. They had a great meal or enjoying the chance to open some of the gifts that they received. And they asked if the husband would say a few words. So he stepped up and said, would you say something about your marriage? He said, well... I've known her for 50 years, and she's tried and true. His wife looked over at him with a scowl on her face. She said, well, I've known you for 50 years, and I'm tired of you too. <laughs> Sometimes simple misunderstandings can arise. At other times, the conflict occurs because of our basic human selfishness the unwillingness to discuss alternatives or to consider compromise or the insistence on always having our way. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Anger is usually sparked when we feel our rights have been violated, our expectations have not been met, and we're hurt. 
And when we do not resolve anger, it can fuel into sin. It, it can turn into a lingering bitterness that will push us apart. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And those fights that erupt, those quarrels that occur with the student or the coworker or the spouse are often a result of, of selfish, unrealistic expectations on one person's part. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Paul, the apostle, is telling us, don't be self-absorbed in your own ambition. Don't be conceited, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Don't be preoccupied only with your concerns, but unselfishly look out for the interests of others. And those are good steps for preventing conflict. But let's look also at confronting conflict. Author John Ortberg tells of a time when he was confronted. He and his family were on an airplane. He said his kids were being rowdy. They were crawling all over everything. There were toys and, and diapers strewn everywhere. And it was a real mess there on the airplane. And John could tell that some of the other passengers were, were getting annoyed. One man seated a few rows ahead of him turned around and asked Ortberg, are these your two kids? Yes. Yes, they are. The man said, my wife and I would give anything to have two kids. Ortberg said, oh, so you and your wife can't have children? The man explained, no, we can have kids. We have five kids. We'd give anything to have two. When conflict does arrive and in order to achieve reconciliation, conflict must be handled in a loving manner. I'm afraid too many approach conflict with an ostrich mentality of burying our heads in the sand and just hoping the problem situation will go away. And most of the time, that will not work. Conflicts will fester beneath the surface until friendships, marriages, and relationships are severed. In, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus taught us that when offended, we should go privately to the person who offended us and, and share with that person what happened, how it made us feel. We're, we're not to go set the record straight over every minor event, but if something is, is bothering us, which could create a barrier to that relationship with another, we need to address it. 
And often that alone will produce clarification and clear up the misunderstanding or activate an apology. But I think a word of caution is is valuable. I don't believe it's healthy or wise for us to confront every grievance that we may encounter in life. That would create a perpetual approach to, to living that would smack of being egocentric. And so you have to determine if you're dealing with measles or cancer. Measles go away on their own, and cancer will require some delicate surgery to extract and prevent its spread. In other words, choose your battles. If something is recurring and disruptive, then by all means, address it lovingly. If another person's behavior irks you, but it isn't really a big deal, then extend some grace and and tell it to God in prayer. Don't mention it to others in gossip. David Augsburger in his book, Caring Enough to Confront, writes, avoiding honest statements of real feelings and viewpoints is often considered kindness, thoughtfulness, or generosity. More often, it is the most cruel thing I can do to others. He goes on, it's kind of a benevolent lying. And we often use selective honesty to protect ourselves. I won't really tell him how I'm feeling because that might hurt his feelings. So instead, I'm just going to stay mad at him, we reason. And that's no way to handle conflict. It must be handled directly in love. And and Augsburger suggests that there are five levels of human reaction to conflict. Maybe right now you're at, at odds with someone. You're involved in a conflict. So as I go through these levels, you see which level describes uh, your, your current conflict. Level one is, I'll get him. And it's attacking back with put-downs, retaliation, one-upmanship. Level two, I'll get out. I'll just withdraw. If somebody at church hurts my feelings, I'll just back out of this situation. Level three, I'll I'll give in. And some people tend to give in regardless. There are people who've lived their entire lives silently biting their tongues, holding their feelings inside, suffering the health consequences because of a, a refusal to share honest feelings in love. Level four is, I'll meet you halfway. And this represents healthy compromise. And level five is, I care enough to confront. And this is communication at its highest level. Communicating frankly, kindly. It's, I don't want you to walk out of my life. This relationship means too much to me to give up. Let's work through this. Let's, let's deal with this. And that's really what's described in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where it contains the phrase, speak the truth in love. And that's the highest level of communication, truthing it in love. And later in that same passage, Ephesians 4, just dropping down a few verses, verse 26, the apostle Paul warns, don't let the sun go down 
on your anger. And the, the application for us is resolve anger daily so little things don't accumulate and become big things. Otherwise, there is this cumulative effect and seemingly small inconsequential things can mound up into an almost insurmountable obstacle to the health of a marriage. So resolve anger daily. Work through issues daily. Don't store them up. Don't look for that chance later to settle the score and and get even. Don't practice being an archaeologist where you go digging for ancient history. Well, remember back in 1997 when you said this or, or, or did that? Address the differences and then give it a rest. Let the water flow under the bridge. Don't dredge up the debris of the past. Deal with your differences daily before the sun goes down. Don't go to bed angry. Don't carry unresolved anger over to the next day. There's a great example of that in in Acts chapter 15. It's a story about the great apostle Paul and the great encourager Barnabas. Two spiritual giants, two godly Christian men who had a a conflict of interest. They they had a falling out that that forced them to agree to disagree. In verses 35 through 41, there in Acts 15, described this sharp disagreement they had and and how it dissolved their partnership. And it forced them to, to go their separate ways. But what we see about their disagreement was they didn't badmouth each other. They didn't try to rally others to support their positions. They didn't attack or question the other person's motives or integrity. They separated for a time and then later resolved their differences. And that brings us to the the third and, and final consideration, resolving conflict. I'm going to give you some practical take-homes for resolving the conflicts that you'll encounter in your life this week. So let me encourage you to write these down on the insert that appears there in your bulletin and put these down as action items for this week. The first thing that we can do to resolve conflict is give the benefit of the doubt. It helps us avoid adding two and two together and coming up with 22. The only exercise some people get is is jumping to conclusions. So don't be like that. Give the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Try to think the best about someone until all other options are are exhausted. James chapter 1 verse 19 commands us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Give the benefit of the doubt. Next, avoid exaggerations. Avoid using phrases like, will you always, or will you never, which are overstatements designed to strengthen one's argument. Such statements are not true, and exaggerations are to be avoided in a good fight. I think another tool 
is work first to understand, then to be understood. Stephen Covey popularized that expression, and it has great value. We, we usually want to launch into telling our side of the story, our opinion, without bothering to hear, listen, understand, or consider the other person's take on things. If we'll take the time to hear out the other person first, usually they'll extend to us that same courtesy of explaining our perception of the problem. So work first to understand, then to be understood. Next, speak the truth in love. The verse we just saw. You can win the battle, but, but lose the war. Dr. James Dobson says, you are at the greatest risk when you are in the right. So there's a danger of becoming domineering or, or unkind, and that's never the right response if you want to have a good fight. Speak the truth in love. Next is uh, agree where possible. Disagree without being disagreeable. Uh, th this year... Coming up next month, we uh, will be married 43 years. And sometimes in our marriage, Johnny and I have had to agree to disagree with the other. I think it's black. She thinks it's white. We're at an impasse. We are never going to convince the other or, or agree on that. But we can agree that we do love each other. We can agree on the common points whenever possible. And we can remember that it is possible to disagree without becoming disagreeable. I think another take-home for us is attack the issue or behavior, not the other person. Attack the issue or the behavior not the person. Instead of saying accusingly, you hurt me when you said that in front of everyone, you can reframe that statement and personalize it and say, when that statement was made, I felt hurt. And what that does, it focuses on the issue or the behavior without pointing an accusing finger and attacking the offender, putting him or her on the defensive. It's just talking about your feelings. I, I felt hurt. Another good tip for us is, is to avoid comparison. And when an argument starts to erupt, it's really easy to default to name-calling or uh, comparing. You're just like your mother. Well, you're just like your father. Another version of that is, why can't you be more like blank? And then inserting the name of some model spouse. Once when I was speaking, the person who was seated next to my wife leaned over during my message and said, referring to me, I'll bet Jeff's a great husband. And some days I do a decent job as a husband, but some days I don't do a very good job as a husband. So it's unrealistic to compare. Avoid comparisons. 
It's been observed that Adam and Eve had the only perfect marriage in history. Adam didn't have to listen to Eve go on and on about the guy she could have married. And Eve didn't have to listen to Adam brag about his mother's cooking. They had the only perfect marriage. A young minister was about to perform his first wedding ceremony, and he was a little bit nervous about it. So he asked a veteran minister, what should I do if I, if I lose my place or if I forget what to say? And the seasoned minister recommended, if you get lost, just start quoting scripture and, until you can find your place in your notes, and, and then you can just go on from there. Okay. Well, sure enough, the, the young minister looked up from his notes, lost his place, and remembering what the other minister had said, he began to quote scripture from memory. Unfortunately, the next verse that came to mind was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The most valuable truth for us to learn today is simply that forgiveness is the the key to resolving conflict. I saw an Instagram post this week on stronger marriages, and it read, No marriage is perfect. Those celebrating 20, 30, or 40 years of marriage are actually celebrating forgiveness, tolerance, and moving past big mistakes that were made. I love that. And it's accurate. Please remember, man's way is to return evil for evil. Satan's way is to return evil for evil for good. God's way is to return good for evil, and his way should be our way. May we echo the words of the serenity prayer. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It's a life-changing moment when we come to the realization that we can't change other people. Only God can do that. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And it's difficult and painful as it may be to forgive someone who has wronged us, the reality is we must do so because we each stand in need of God's forgiveness every day. And if we withhold forgiveness from others, we jeopardize our own spiritual status before God. I love Romans 12, 18. I think it's a great verse to sum up this topic of of conflict. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Living at peace with others is not solely contingent on you, but in as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with others. You must do your part to get along with others. We must practice grace to those who have offended us, to extend forgiveness where we've been hurt, to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave us. We're going to close out this this message with prayers. We begin this series on the family. We're asking God to to be at work in these messages and and in our lives and and in our families. And so I'm going to invite you to, to pray with me. Our Father, we realize that families are under attack today as, as never before. I pray for every family represented here in this service. I pray for every family watching online. Lord, I, I pray that you would protect and sustain and keep them away from our adversary who wants to divide over differences who wants us to be proud and not practice humility, who wants us to insist on getting our way all times. Lord, I I pray that you would give us grace to overlook the small offenses and courage to confront the larger ones. Lord, I pray that you would help us to Learn that we can disagree with others without having to become disagreeable. Lord, may we speak the truth in love. May we give the benefit of the doubt to others and think the best and not rush to judgment, being harsh and thinking the worst of others. Lord, as we we do this, it will change us personally. It will change us individually. It will change our relationships where we work or study. It will change our relationships where we live, the people in our extended families. So Lord, we invite your blessing on this series and ask that you would continue to speak to us from the truth of your word that we would all be able to apply it to our lives and make the necessary adjustments and and changes to bring us into conformity with your word and the example of your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Just stand and we'll sing now. Let us not lift 
Give us pure hearts. 